Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Book the Second, A Clearance of All Scores. Chapter One, Blind Peter. The favorite gallows having lost in the race with Richard Marwood, there is very little more interest felt in Slopperton about poor Daredevil Dick's fate. It was known that he was in the county lunatic asylum, a prisoner for life, or, as it is expressed by persons learned in legal matters, during the pleasure of the sovereign. It was known that his poor mother had taken up her abode near the asylum, and that at intervals she was allowed the melancholy pleasure of seeing the wreck of her once light-hearted boy. Mrs. Marwood was now a very rich woman, inheritress of the whole of her poor murdered brother's wealth, for Mr. Montague Harding's will had been found to bequeath the whole of his immense fortune to his only sister. She spent little, however, and what she did expend was chiefly devoted to works of charity. But even her benevolence was limited, and she did little more for the poor than she had done before from her own small income. The wealth of the East Indian remained accumulating in the hands of her bankers. Mrs. Marwood was therefore very rich, and Slopperton accordingly set her down as a miser. So the nine days' wonder died out, and the murder of Mr. Harding was forgotten. The sunshine on the factory chimneys of Slopperton grew warmer every day. Every day the hands, appertaining to the factories, felt more and more the necessity of frequent application to the public house, as the weather grew brighter and brighter, till the hot June sun blazed down upon the pavement of every street in Slopperton, baking and grilling the stones, till the sight of a puddle or an overflowing gutter would have been welcome as pools of water in the great desert of Sahara, till the people who lived on the sunny side of the way felt spitefully disposed towards the inhabitants of the shady side, till the chandler at the corner, who came out with a watering pot and sprinkled the pavements before his door every evening, was thought a public benefactor, till the baker, who added his private stock of caloric to the great firm of sunshine and company, and baked the pavement above his oven on his own account, was thought a public nuisance, and hot bread an abomination. Till the butter Slopperton had for tea was no longer butter, but oil, and eluded the pursuit of the knife, or hid itself in a cowardly manner in the holes of the quatern loaf when the housewife attempted to spread it thereon. Till cattle, standing in pools of water, were looked upon with envy and hatred, until, wonder of wonders, Slopperton paid up the water rate sharp in fear and anguish the thought of the possible cutting off of that refreshing fluid. The 17th of June ushered in the midsummer holidays at Dr. Tappenden's establishment, and on the evening of that day Dr. Tappenden broke up. 
Of course, this phrase breaking up is only a schoolboy's slang. I do not mean that the worthy doctor... How did he ever come to be a doctor, I wonder? Or where did he get his degree? Experience any physical change when he broke up? Or that he underwent the moral change of going into the Gazette and coming out thereof better off than when he went in, which is, I believe, the custom in most cases of bankruptcy. I merely mean to say that on the evening of the 17th of June, Dr. Tappenden gave a species of ball at which Mr. Pranksky, the dancing master, assisted with his pumps and his violin, and at which the young gentleman appeared also in pumps, a great deal of wristband and shirt-collar and shining faces in a state of painfully high polish, from the effect of the yellow soap that had been lavished upon them by the respectable young person who looked to the wardrobe department and mended the linen of the young gentleman. By the evening of the 18th, Dr. Tappenden's young gentleman, with the exception of two little fellows whose nearest connections were at Trinidad, all departed to their respective family circles, and Mr. Jabez North had the schoolroom to himself for the whole of the holidays. For, of course, the little West Indians, playing at a sea voyage on one of the forms, with a cricket bat for a mast, or reading Sinbad the Sailor in a corner, were no hindrance to that gentleman's proceedings. Our friend Jabez is as calm-looking as ever. The fair, pale complexion may be, perhaps a shade paler, and the arched mouth a trifle more compressed. That absurd professor of phrenology had declared that both the head and face of Jabez bespoke a marvelous power of secretiveness. But our friend is as placid as ever. The pale face, delicate aquiline nose, the fair hair and rather slender figure give a tone of aristocracy to his appearance, which even his shabby black suit cannot conceal. But Jabez is not too well pleased with his lot. He paces up and down the schoolroom in the twilight of the June evening, quite alone, for the little West Indians have retired to the long dormitory, which they now inhabit in solitary grandeur. Dr. Tappenden has gone to the seaside with his slim only daughter, familiarly known amongst the scholars, who have no eyes for ethereal beauty, as Skinny Jane. Dr. Tappenden has gone to enjoy himself, for Dr. Tappenden is a rich man. He is said to have some twenty thousand pounds in a London bank. He doesn't bank his money in Slopperton. And of Skinny Jane, it may be observed, that there are young men in the town who would give something for a glance from her insipid grey eyes, and who think her ethereal figure the very incarnation of the poet's ideal when they add to that slender form the bulky figures that form the sum total of her father's banking account. Jabez paces up and down the long schoolroom with a step so light that it scarcely wakes an echo. Those crotchety physiologists call this light step another indication of a secretive disposition, up and down in the darkening summer evening. Another six months, Latin grammar, he mutters, another half-year's rudiments of Greek, and all the tiresome old fables of Paris and Helen and Hector and Achilles for entertainment. A nice life for a man with my head, for those fools who preached about my deficient moral region were right, perhaps, when they told me my intellect might carry me anywhere. What has it done for me yet? 
"'Well, at the worst, it has taken me out of loathsome parish rags. "'It has given me independence. "'And it shall give me fortune. "'But how? "'What is to be the next trial? "'This time it must be no failure. "'This time my premises must be sure. "'If I could only hit upon some scheme, "'there is a way by which I could obtain a large sum of money. "'But then, the fear of detection.' "'Detection, which if eluded today, might come tomorrow. "'And it is not a year or two's riot and dissipation "'that I want to purchase, "'but a long life of wealth and luxury, "'with proud men's necks to trample on, "'and my old patrons to lick the dust off my shoes. "'This is what I must fight for, "'and this is what I must attain. "'But how? How?' "'He takes his hat up and goes out of the house.' He is quite his own master during these holidays. He comes in and goes out as he likes, provided he is always at home by ten o'clock when the house is shut up for the night. He strolls with a purposeless step through the streets of Slopperton. It is half past eight o'clock, and the factory hands fill the streets, enjoying the coolness of the evening. But quiet and subdued in their manner, being exhausted by the heat of the long June day. Jabez does not much affect these crowded streets and turns out of one of the most busy quarters of the town into a little lane of old houses which leads to a great old-fashioned square in which stand two ancient churches with very high steeples, an antique-looking town hall, once a prison, a few quaint houses with peaked roofs and projecting upper stories. Jabez soon leaves the square behind him and strolls through two or three dingy narrow old-fashioned streets till he comes to a labyrinth of pigsties and dog kennels known as Blind Peter's Alley. Who Blind Peter was, or how he ever came to have this alley, or whether, as a place possessing no thoroughfare and admitting very little light, it had not originally been called Peter's Blind Alley, nobody living knew. But if Blind Peter was a myth, the alley was a reality, and a dirty, loathsome reality with regard to which the Board of Health seemed as if smitten with the aforesaid Peter's own infirmity, ignoring the horror of the place with fatal blindness. So blind Peter was the Alsatia of Slopperton, a refuge for crime and destitution, since destitution cannot pick its company, but must be content often, for the sake of shelter, to jog cheek by jowl with crime. And thus, no doubt, it is on the strength of that golden adage about birds of a feather that destitution and crime are thought by numerous and benevolent persons to mean one and the same thing. Blind Peter had risen to popularity once or twice on the occasion of a girl poisoning her father in the crust of a beefsteak pudding and a boy of fourteen committing suicide by hanging himself behind a door. Blind Peter, on the first of these occasions, had even had his portrait taken for a Sunday paper, and very nice indeed he had looked in a woodcut, so nice that he had found some difficulty in recognizing himself, which perhaps was scarcely wonderful when it is taken into consideration that the artist, who lived in the neighborhood of Holborn, had sketched Blind Peter from a mountain gorge in the Tyrol, broken up with three or four houses out of Chancery Lane. Certainly, blind Peter had a peculiar wildness in his aspect, being built on the side of a steep hill, and looked very much like a London alley, which had been removed from its site and pitched haphazard on to a Slopperton mountain. 
"'It is not to be supposed for a moment "'that so highly respectable an individual "'as Mr. Jabez North "'had any intention of plunging into the dirty obscurity "'of blind Peter. "'He has come thus far only "'on his way to the outskirts of the town, "'where there is a little brick-bestrewn pseudo-country, "'very much more liberally ornamented "'by oyster-shells, broken crockery, and scaffolding "'than by trees or wild flowers.' which natural objects were wondrous rarities in this part of the Sloppertonian outskirts. So Jabez pursued his way past the mouth of Blind Peter, which was adorned by two or three broken-down and rusty iron railings that looked like jagged teeth, when he was suddenly arrested by a hideous-looking woman who threw her arms about him and addressed him in a shrill voice thus. "'What? He's come back to his best friends, has he?' "'He's come back to his old granny "'after frightening her out of her poor old wits "'by staying away four days and four nights. "'Where have you been, Jim, my dearie? "'And where did you get your fine toggery?' "'Where did I get my fine toggery? "'What do you mean, you old hag? "'I don't know you, and you don't know me. "'Let me pass, will you, or I'll knock you down.' "'No, no,' she screamed. "'He wouldn't knock down his old granny.' He wouldn't knock down his precious granny that nursed him and brought him up like a gentleman and will tell him a secret one of these days worth a mint of money if he treats her well. Jabez pricked up his ears at the words mint of money and said in a rather milder tone, I tell you, my good woman, you mistake me for somebody else. I never saw you before. What? You're not my Jim? No, my name is Jabez North. "'If you're not satisfied, here's my card.' "'And he took out his card-case. "'The old woman stuck her arms akimbo "'and stared at him with a gaze of admiration. "'Lord,' she cried, "'don't he do it all natural? "'Ain't he a born genius? "'He's been a-doing the respectable reduced tradesman "'or the young man brought up to the church "'what waits upon the gentry with a long letter "'and has a wife and two innocent children "'staying in another town.' "'and only wants the railway fare to go to them. "'Hey, Jim, that's what you've been a-doin', ain't it now? "'And you've brought home the swag like a good lad to your grandmother, "'haven't you now?' she said in a wheedling tone. "'I tell you, you confounded old fool, "'I'm not the man you take me for. "'What, not my Jim? "'And you can look at me with his eyes, "'and tell me so with his voice. "'Then if you're not him, he's dead, and you're his ghost.' Jabez thought the old woman was mad, but he was no coward, and the adventure began to interest him. Who was this man who was so like him, and who was to learn a secret some day worth a mint of money? "'Will you come with me, then?' said the old woman, "'and let me get a light, or see whether you are my Jim or not.' "'Where's the house?' asked Jabez. "'Why, in Blind Peter, to be sure, where should it be?' "'How should I know?' said Jabez, following her. "'He thought himself safe, even in blind Peter, "'having nothing of value about him "'and having considerable faith in the protecting power "'of his strong right arm. "'The old woman led the way into the little mountain gorge, "'choked up with rickety hovels, lately erected, "'or crazy old houses which had once been goodly residences "'in the days when the site of blind Peter "'had been a pleasant country lane.' The house she entered was of this latter class, and she led the way into a stone-paved room which had once been a tolerably spacious entrance hall. It was lighted by one feeble little candle with a long, drooping wick, 
stuck in an old ginger beer bottle. And by this dim light, Jabez saw, seated on a heap of rubbish by the desolate hearth, his own reflection. A man dressed, unlike him, in the rough garments of a laborer, but whose face gave back as faithfully as ever glass had done the shadow of his own. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.